if I say I'm going to preach on God's blessing, everyone gets up and about about it. Oh, bless me, Lord. I was blessed by today. You never, you never hear a person walk out of service that's been challenged or, or God's convicted them, but you always hear from the person that's been blessed. Oh, I was blessed today. Uh, it was awesome. I really felt encouraged today. And that's true. But blessing is an absolute beautiful thing. But then if I was to say to you, I, I want to preach about stinky feet, who would get up and about that? Give me a wave. Stinky feet, stinky feet. Who has stinky feet? Give me a wave. I say, okay, wait, let me ask that question again. If you know someone with stinky feet in the room, put your hand up. Listen, as a young man, we make many mistakes. One mistake I made as a young man, and I've only done it once or twice in my entire life, is I like sport and I went out. And I played an, in, an entire day of sport wearing sneakers and no socks. And I'll tell you what happens is I went home that day and as I took off my shoes, it was like there was an invisible person that emerged out of my shoes and slapped everybody in the face in the room. Like it was a smell that I had to go and either wash my feet straight away or move house. It was a horrible, <laughs> horrible thing. You know, I started thinking about stinky feet. In all my years of nursing, my focus was on bowel surgery. But you know what was worse than bowel surgery? Infected, ingrown toenails. Oh, you don't understand. Take the tears of onions with the smell of like submerging yourself in armpits and like old curry. And this is an ingrown toenail. It is, the, it, is the, it, is, it is stinky feet at its maximum. Stinky feet, trying to get in your head. There'll be purpose. Stay with me. There might not be purpose. Stay with me either way. Remember going to Vanuatu earlier this year and really trying to step out in faith. And I got a word of, of knowledge about somebody in the room that had an infected right toe. And I felt the Lord say to me, go and lay hands. And I remember saying, no, Father. No. So when I sent it out there and I remember getting over and seeing the toe and, and I prayed for that upper forefoot like you ever believe and slid down real quick, prayed, moved on. Stinky feet. Do you know, if I was going to die today and I had one last opportunity to make an impact I would not think or consider feet in the equation of my mind. I would go, I'm, I'm going to go and uh, spend time with my family or I'm going to go to somewhere I love and take in the view or I'm going to eat that last meal. I don't think feet. But Jesus did. I want us to turn to John chapter 13. And this is the premise that I want to build from this morning. Love equals serving. Serving equals blessing. You see, it all starts with love. We know that in John 3.16, we know the word says that for Christ, for God so loved the world that he sent. So because of love, it all started with love. He sent his son, Jesus. But then we know Jesus' mantle. He said, what did he say to us? He says, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And now we walk in the incredible blessing of what he did on the cross. 
And because we now walk in that blessing, Jesus says through the picture that is painted in John 13 that if you serve, you'll be blessed. You see, love, it equals serving. But if you serve, you will be blessed. Serving in humility, serving for the right reason. Serving for others, not for your own interest. If you serve with that attitude, you'll be blessed by God. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the people that are here today. Lord, I pray that, that when they look at their feet, Father, that they would be prompted to love and to serve. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So let's start. We're going to read John 13. I'm going to read the first 17 verses. Um, so good luck to me. Here I go. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, everybody say loved, who were with him and he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realise now what I am doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew that they were going, uh, he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, Not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to the place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I'm your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master nor his messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do the same. What a picture. They're at dinner, having a meal. He gets up from that meal if you look at the scenario, he knows that his hour has come. 
He knows that this is his last opportunity to be of influence, to teach them a lesson, to to, to leave something for them to take a hold of. And he doesn't want to waste it. So he gets up from the table. Think about it. He knew what he was about to endure, but yet his last moments were not about him, but were about teaching and being an example. I see here two beautiful things going on, which I want to share with you. There there is actually a a, a spiritual symbolism going on, which is incredible. And also there's a very practical application, which I want to have a discussion about. You know, the reality in our culture, which I think we need to begin to shift as a community, is that we feel blessed when our feet are being washed. But in the kingdom of heaven, we are blessed when we're washing the feet. Have you ever thought about that? You go for, is it a pedicure? Why is it called a pet? I don't get that. But you go for a pedicure and you're the one that feels blessed. But the kingdom of God is actually the one that is down and crouched down and humbly serving. I pondered and I think about our communities and I think is the fact that there is so much loneliness, so much pain, so much depression in our community and it's correlated with so much self-centeredness. But there's two things, a practical application and spiritual symbolism. I've always been stumped by verse 8. Peter's saying to him, no, 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 don't wash my feet. No way would I ever let you, Jesus, my Lord and my Saviour, wash my feet. And Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, You have no part of me. And I always wondered, well, well, what's a bit aggressive? Just let him, it's just he does not know part of you if you don't want him to wash your feet. He's trying to honour you, Jesus. This is what I always thought and was always confused. But then all of a sudden, as I studied the Word and prayed on the Word and, and read, I began to see the picture of that. The dirt that is on their feet is actually representative of sin. And that only Jesus can wash those sins away. What's happening is what he's saying is without a true relationship with me, you cannot be cleansed. You cannot have your sins washed away. We know in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it talks about that. It says, those that call on Him, it says that, that Christ washes away their wickedness. He says, you've got to let me do this. A beautiful symbolism of what He was about to do on the cross But it started with love. It started with love. And then it goes on to progress even further, which I thought was beautiful. He says, well, well, if you've got to wash my feet for me to be a part of you, wash my head, wash my body, wash all of me. And Jesus says, you're already clean. He says, only your feet are dirty. Only your feet need washing. As we look at that, we know that when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we've already been made clean. But yet on our journey of sanctification, we need to continue to address those little sins in our life. We need to continue giving them to Jesus in order that we can continually be sanctified, becoming more like Him, washing. A beautiful picture of a man in his last hours They wanted to leave an example and a lasting impression. He did not come to be served, but to serve. 
to be a blessing in order that from that blessing, we too could serve others and be blessed. Love God, love your neighbour. It starts with love. If you read in that scripture, it says this, it says at the very start, it says, he knows that his hour had come. But yet I love how it reads. It says, but yet loving those who were his own. Have, let's have a look at this, this, this moment in the scripture. It says this. In the Bible somewhere. I'll just open up my Bible. It says this. And just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Starts with love. Having loved his own who were in the world. And he loved them to the end. So he gets up. And he takes off his formal clothing to get into his working gear in order that he can begin to teach something. Can I share with you the three things that I have pondered on from the word this week that I believe are transforming the way that we need to serve in a community. We need to become a community that realises this. It's more blessed to serve than it is to be served. Because Jesus says this, he says, no one's greater than his master. No, no person bringing the message is better than the one that sent it. He says, now you've seen what I've done. Now go and do the same. But here's the first thing that I've learned is this, is that love doesn't fatigue. Love doesn't grow tired. It says in the scripture, he loved until the end. Love doesn't grow tired. I'll never grow tired of loving my children. I'll never grow tired of loving my God. I'll never grow tired of serving this community because the love that is within me, it, it drives me. I believe that's the same for everybody in this room, but has anybody ever experienced love fatigue? Give me a wave. Let's be honest. We're family. Let me give you an example. My sister bought a puppy, a 12-week-old cavoodle. It was eight weeks, thanks, April. Was it really eight weeks? Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> and it is the cutest little thing. It's a cavoodle. It's black. Its name is Bella. Every little dog is Bella. Hey, speaking of Bella, there's another puppy that has a Bella and a mum and dad. Lauren and Sean have got Ivy, Lynn, Edie here for the first time today. Are they around? We're at the back. They're in the room. Everyone, let's clap the back of the room. I don't know where they are. I can't see anyone. They're in the foyer. If you're in the foyer, we love you. We had another little Bella. And it was a super cute dog. She had this little bark. Beep. Super cute. Little cuddles. Curl up, curl up, curl up into a little ball. She ate little. She followed our dog around. It was so cute. Do you know why I found this dog cute? Is my sister went away and she said, Charles, would you look after it for 10 days? I said, bring the dog to me. Bring the dog. <laughs> so this cute little thing was cute, but 
at about day eight or nine, all of a sudden I was experiencing love fatigue because that same little cute dog does a little poop in the house, does a little wee on the carpet. And all of a sudden, I'm like, this dog is not that cute. The cuteness versus the annoying factor was beginning to tip in the favour of give it back. But what happened is all of a sudden I had love fatigue. I'm like, this is annoying. Why did April say yes to the dog? (laughs) And what happened is I had to sit back and I had to reflect, why did I say yes to the dog in the first place? It's because I love my sister. And I love my nieces and my brother-in-law and they needed us to look after this dog. So what happened is from remembering the fact that actually I love them and that is the purpose behind why I'm loving this thing, it then began to refresh my love. See, what happens with love fatigue is often I find we lose perspective on why we're loving. You know why we're loving? Because God called us to. We love out of relationship with Jesus. And then from that perspective, we begin to realise, hey, I can keep going because my love for God won't wane. I can do it in His strength and not my own. And I won't grow tired loving because the perspective is that's what God calls me to do. It's the end of His life and Jesus loved them till the end. He didn't wait to His moment of crisis and go, oh, I can't love you now, it's about me. What often happens and the temptation is when we face crisis, we forget about everybody else. I can't do it right now. I'm too busy. There's too much going on. I'm in pain. And that's all very valid. And that's all very, very okay. But don't let your personal situation affect the fact you're called to love. You can be in pain and still love. You can be in crisis and still love. But know that the people around you, that as you love them, they'll love you back. And they'll begin to pray for you. I think there are people in this room that have been experiencing love fatigue with those kids that just won't listen. Maybe that boss that doesn't notice all the hard work and extra hours and things you're putting in and all of a sudden the fatigue of trying to love, of trying to be an example is beginning to weigh heavy. Please remember that everything we do, we do it as though we're serving God and not man. You see, what happened is Jesus' perspective was, hey, I'm about to be called back to my father, uh, to be back where I'm meant to be, but, but I'm not there yet, so I will love to the end. I want to encourage you to stir up your love for one another. See, if we go to the second point, Love lets go of pride and moves in humility. So what's interesting about the Jewish culture, the more I study it, is this, is that they actually really honoured humility. They were actually all about it. Oh, humility is incredible. But even more than humility, they were all about social position. You know, I read a, a quote from a rabbi And his name was Judah Nahasi. And he said this, I would do anything for anyone except give up my position. Started thinking about that. And I reckon that's threaded through our culture. Do you know how our culture says it? 
I would do anything for love. It's a bit flat, but we did well. Love lets go of pride in order to serve. I think that's a challenge that we all face. And I get so proud of our community when I hear and see things that are showing humility to serve. I think it's incredible. I think of the campus pastor, we all know Nathan, uh, is doing an incredible job in the East. I found out last week that there was no one for kids' church. So instead of running the congregation, he chaired the meeting and then went and did the kids' church because he wanted to make sure that the children wouldn't miss out. They're learning the Ten Commandments at the moment. I think it culminates today. They've got to come with the goods today, remembering the Ten. There's Nathan. The guy that's normally preaching is in with the kids. You know, I love to honour and I think about people like Jan Graham. She works one day a week for our community, but yet she came in, worked her day a week. She works as a PA for me and does a wonderful job. And then we had a network meeting which is a, a, a responsibility that we have to the movement that's supposed to be shared. She came in on a day off at 10 a.m. and left about 10 p.m. Humble. Not about pride. She'll tell me off for saying that. Not about people knowing, but about serving a God from which you have your perspective on. You see, what Jesus was doing was far more than just words. But there was actions. Do you know, sometimes it takes pride to remove you from a situation and humility to bring you back in. Maybe with your kids. It's time you said to them, hey, you know what? What dad did the other day wasn't right. And I'm sorry. Maybe with your children. Maybe in your workplace. You know, it's funny as I know that Humility, God will open up doors. We know that pride, God will close doors because we know that God opposes the proud and he lifts up the humble. And you can see that in Jesus' last moments to have influence, he's going, look, it starts with love. You know that I love you. So because I love you, I am now removing myself from this position and I'm humbling myself to show you that in order to lead, you need to be humble. If you want to have an influence in in your world, know this, you can't lead if you can't serve. You need to serve your family. You need to serve your workplace. You need to serve one another. You need to do it from a perspective of humility and love. One of my favourite writers, he writes this. He says, the theory of humility doesn't mean much but the practice of humility will change the world. Theory doesn't mean much. Please don't hear me talk about let's humbly serve and love one another. The theory doesn't mean much, doesn't carry much weight, but gee whiz, the practice of it can change the community around us. Because the third thing, if we go to that, love sets the example. Now what I want these guys to do that all walk down. I want you to bring, bring some stuff up to the front. They're going to bring it up to the front. I came up with this analogy during the first worship song. So <laughs> let's see how that goes. Sets the example. 
Effectively, what Jesus is about to say at the end of this is, if it's good for me, it's good for you. Jesus takes himself up from the table. Now, what I want to do is I want to explain to you a little bit about about Jewish culture and what this meal would have looked like. Can everybody see that picture on the screen? That's about the most accurate to my understanding and research of, of what a Jewish meal would look like. Yeah, some scholars write that often when they would arrive for a meal, they'd only wash one hand. Now, why they'd only wash one hand is because during the appetizers, they'd only need one hand and then eventually they'd wash two before the main meal. But what would happen? Why don't you stick around for a minute, lads? You can stick around. I want you to copy me. All right, pick the hand you're going to wash. All right, so this is the hand you're going to wash. So what would happen is you would lean on the table with the dirty hand And then you'd eat the appetizers with the other one because this is the clean hand. Can everyone see? The dirty feet are on the outside. The dirty hand is the leaning principle and the clean hand is where all the action is. Everyone grab some food. I don't know what, you know, it's not pig. We know that much. So what's going on? Is they're eating. Now, what happens in Jewish culture, stay there, boys, is that there's a hierarchy set up. The closer you are to the head of the table, good pick, lads, well done, (laughs) is the higher that you would be in social status, is where you'd want to be. And then what would happen is your rank as you would move down the table would be that, you know, you're still honoured, but you're not as valued because you're not at the head of the table. So what's happening is all the action is here. I'm Italian. I love an antipasta platter. Can I get an amen from anyone else in the room? Oh, it is the best. I wash both hands because I go at it twice as fast. But what happens is all the action is here. He's in the middle of the table. All the action is here. But what does Jesus do? You can be Jesus, Justin. You're wearing leather. He's cool. Right, as you would stand up. And he takes himself out of the centre of where the action is in order to serve. I can't believe that I have to come to church and everybody is in the auditorium and I have to sit in the foyer for security. I'm not where the action is, but for some reason I have to now serve outside of where the action is. Hey, I come to church every week and it seems to be that while my kids are young, I'm missing out on everything and I have to be in the parent room and the action's here, but yet I feel over here, that's great. You're still being faithful. Jesus did it. Here's where all the action is. Everything's going down. But yet for some reason, you know, I keep getting put on kids because people are unavailable and I don't get to be in the action, but yet I've got to be out here. That's great. So did Jesus. You see, thanks, boys. You can head back. Leave it there. It's fine. Humility and love set an incredible example. Jesus in his final Hour was leading with love, was setting an example and was telling his followers, do what I do. But when you think about it, it's because he wanted them to be blessed. I want everybody in this room to serve their family well because God will bless you, to serve this community well because God will bless you. To serve your workplace well, because God will bless you. But in order to 
do that. In humility, you need to love first. You need to let go of pride. And you need to lead by example. If I could have a keys player to come up. You know, recently uh, I took Vincent on Monday to the uh, city. Um, Pastor Greg's on holidays with Sue. They've done really well. That's where he'll be away for the next few weeks. If you don't see them, they're having a, a break. But Pastor Greg and I, we took Vincent into what Pastor Greg was calling the real Milan, which is Melbourne. And I remember getting off the train and walking past, seeing a lady lying on the ground. Now, for some reason, it must be the leader in me, I run to crisis. If there's something going down, I want to help, I want to be there. You know, I get to this young lady and she's okay. She's just feeling a bit dizzy, hasn't had enough to eat. But it reminded me of a story that I was once told. The story goes like this. There's a man and uh, he, he's at the beach and he sees a young lady that's down and another elderly man that's around him. And he runs over to the young girl and he pushes the man out of the way. And he starts to work on the girl, starts to work on her. And what happens is he revives her. And the man that he had been so rude to push out of the way, he's like, get out of the way, I'm going to do this. People applaud. And that man that got pushed out of the way, is applauding. And the young girl gets up and as he's walking away, he goes, well, that took a bit of work. I'm, I'm feeling a bit short of breath. He goes over. The next thing what happens is he wakes up and he's in an ambulance and that old man that he'd pushed out of the way is checking his pulse. He goes, why, why are you here? What, what happened? He goes, oh, look, you went down too. And, you know, I had to work on you. He's like, well, why have they let you come in the ambulance? He goes, well, I'm a doctor. I always pondered on that thought. The guy that gets pushed out of the way is more qualified has a better right to be there. But yet in the moment, wasn't interested in his pride, was worried and, and concerned about the young lady. But then what happened is because of his humility and because of uh, his ability to step away, when the time came, he was able to have great influence. Two people got saved. None of us are qualified to do anything without God's strength. I'm not qualified to lead this community. There are so many people here that have incredible knowledge and incredible wisdom, but I don't do it in my strength. God chose me. But He chose you for your world. It's God that'll do the work, but what Jesus was setting the example of is what you can control is how you love, swallowing your pride and setting an example, and then God will do the work. We live in a society that is constantly, constantly wanting to know what they can get. But Jesus showed me that when I serve, when I do it for the right reason, God will bless my life. So I want everyone to stand this morning.
not going to do an altar call this morning because I don't want to. My desire, my prayer, everyone can close their eyes. So I literally ask God daily to bless you. Lord, just bless every person's family, their health. But know this, despite all your challenges, you can still be blessed. Maybe your finances are low, you can still be blessed. Maybe your health isn't good at the moment, you can still be blessed. Maybe your kids have left home in a bad way, you can still be blessed. You just need to continue to love continue to put pride aside and continue to set an example because Jesus says this. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So with every eye closed across this place, and I'll invite the band to come quickly. Let's work your way around the cushions. I want to challenge you today to love your family and your community in a new way, to find ways to serve them, to find ways to love them, even if it's not reciprocated, even if you don't get anything back. So if that's you and you're willing to leave this place today and go, you know what, I'm going to serve my workplace better. I'm going to serve my family better. I believe that there are people here that, that have been experiencing fatigue. When you get home, you're just so tired that you give it all to your job and then you get home and you're so tired. I believe the Lord is saying that as you serve your family, He's going to renew your strength supernaturally. Don't hit the couch, stay upright, keep serving your family and He will renew your strength. I believe that there are mothers in here that are feeling the fatigue of raising families and children. Keep loving, keep setting the example. God's gonna renew your strength. You'll be blessed. So as we go to sing, we'll sing new wine. If you want to declare to God right now in this moment that I want to continue to serve my family, I want to continue to serve my community, I want to continue to serve with a perspective of because I love you, God. This whole thing started with love. Because you love me, you sent your son. Because of Jesus, He set the example. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And now I get to walk in that blessing. Lord, help me to serve. If that's your want you to raise your hand up high, that you want to serve your family, you want to serve your community in a new way, your colleagues, your staff, your business. Lord, I just pray that as our community serves, you're going to release new blessings. Lord God, blessing doesn't necessarily need to mean money. Blessing doesn't necessarily need more gifts and better things. But Lord, the blessing is actually to be the one washing the feet. 
not the one with the feet being washed. Lord, I pray that there would be a shift in mindsets, Lord, that it's an honour and it's a blessing to serve our community, our workplaces, our family.